0: You're about to hear the Season 2 uh, finale of Late Era, and uh, just want to uh, say that this episode, even more so than some previous episodes, is fully powered by Grady's. You're going to hear all four uh, members of the cast um, sipping on Grady's. You can hear the the ice cubes at the beginning. Just want to set you up for that. Um, all 20 episodes of this show have been uh, officially sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew, um, a cold brew company out of the Bronx uh, that we love, and I, I drink literally every day, especially in the summer, um, more than one glass, so you should go over to their website, gradyscoldbrew.com to figure out more what's going on. Um, if you live in New York City, you could probably walk into a bodega or store um, and find it easily enough, as well as in other parts of the country. But what you really want to do is go to Grady's com and use the promo code Late Era 20 to uh, try a product that looks particularly good to you, um, whether it's uh, the whatever flavor you want um i recommend the new orleans style but there's hazelnut french vanilla you can get them in jugs you can get the brew kit to uh brew up bags in your fridge at home or you can get a uh a full box of grady's uh lots of lots of opportunities there so this is your your last chance listeners if you've been hearing us uh talk about uh grady's endlessly um for for all these episodes uh Now's the time to try that code later at 20 at, at com and get 20 percent off your first order. Uh, we thank Grady, we praise him and uh, enjoy the show.
1: Look for my back On the next sound
2: The sweet sound of Grady.
1: You know
0: what it is That's four. Cups of Grady's
2: clinking together in the same room. Yes, this is the latest episode and the season two finale of the only podcast on earth brought to you by a couple guys sitting in a room together talking about stuff. I think that's true. There might be like one other podcast out there that sort of follows the format, but I I think we're just about... That's it. Yeah, it's just us. Uh, This is Late Era brought to you by Osiris Media the show where we talk about the strange, untoward, uncouth and downright disgusting, Whoa. late career albums by classic musicians. My name is Andy Kush. I'm a contributing editor at Pitchfork. I play bass in Garcia People's. My name' is Winston Cook Wilson, and uh, I make music as
0: office culture and as Winston CW and elsewhere.
3: Sam Sadomsky, uh, Associate Editor, Pitchfork, Music Maker, Life Liver. uh, Happy to be here. And we have a very special guest with us. I'll do the honors.
0: Uh, Very proud to welcome to this podcast for the first time uh, a a very old friend and repeat guest on our, kind of a co-host almost, I like to think of, on our other podcast, Welcome to Chicago, which some people think is retired, but let me tell you, folks, it's not. And it's going to come raring back, and you're not going to be pre- prepared for what happens. But um, we have a distinguished uh, critic, an editor, reviews writer for the, uh, the Wall Street Journal. He's written all over the place, formerly executive editor at Pitchfork. And we're just so thrilled to have him, uh, Mark Richardson. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, I forgot the other thing. Great 33 and a third. Oh, yeah. on zyrica classic okay 33 and the third entry great yeah okay. thank
4: you so much yeah I'm, I'm stoked to be here in the basement with you guys
0: we're literally in a basement and do you want to talk us through where we are this is the first in-person er- episode of later
2: it feels amazing yeah I'll we had say. to do one uh we started this show kind of right after covid uh first took grip and now Things are loosening as we're wrapping up this season. uh, I moved upstate in the middle of it all. Everything we've done so far has been remote, but now we are sitting in my unfinished basement of my house in Kingston, New York. There's a weird uh, hole in the wall that I'm looking at right now. Uh, This is sort of my like rock and roll zone in progress. Got my guitar and bass amps down here, half of a drum kit, an old couch. Uh, just imagine sort of the perfect setting for four dudes chillin'. talking, clap. talking, clap. Mm-hmm. To say clap? <laughs> as, a, as Sam, as one of his
0: biggest
3: fans, do people say clap? Yeah, we'll say clap once in a while. We'll say clap. Uh, that's like the fans will say We will say We say will it. say it. Okay. Yes. All right. Little EC. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, Throw that in
0: there. <laughs> Ricky. Ricky C. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ricky. Uh, the album we're talking about today is Pilgrim. Uh, Clapton's 13th album from 1998, his first album of originals back after a long hiatus and uh, another album in a genre we've sort of explored on this show before of kind of a boomer rock icon just going whole hog on the kind of adult contempo light electronic production trends of, in this case, the late 90s. But I'll be honest, the what I'm more interested in as sort of a point of discussion for this record is the fact that I think Sam is just earnestly a pretty big fan of it. And that is going to be... Uh, providing, I think, a lot of the meat of our discussion is sort of digging into what someone might like about an album like this.
3: Yeah, I'll say we've done episodes of this show where people very kindly say, like, you nailed it. You completely... My point of view on this record is what you guys shared. We've done ones that are like, I disagree with you guys, but it's funny or fun hearing you talk about it. This is not going to be one of those episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to tap into a critical thinking on Eric Clapton, uh, this is a personal journey for me. Um, and just, I want to prepare people for that. For, for me, this is like, I think, you know, thinking of the two
0: podcasts because Clapton's are always been in the background. It's always been something I'm a Clapton that you'll just say some reference, some Clapton, 80s Clapton off the cuff as if anyone knows what you're talking about. And it's like, uh Oh, you know, (laughs) there's so that's a the tip of an ice that's like a plot line we're going to have to resolve later it's very yeah. it's like it does feel like you know this is our season finale and it does feel like that final kind of showdown that needs to happen between the two characters that's simmering except it's all of us and you talking <laughs> about how much you know about Clapton I'm, basically <laughs> i'm
2: sort of imagining like the guitar duel with Steve Vai as the devil at uh, in the crossroads movie yeah. uh, and sort of except it's maybe sam versus Clapton's uh, <clears throat> spirit. Yeah. Um, I'll also say that, you know, we talk about listening to artists in terms of like their whole kind of arc. And that's something that I think all of us individually like to do is try to like kind of learn the whole story of an artist, which is like, a th- you know, it's a task that you undertake to sort of like make a journey through their discography. I think that if I ranked my willingness to do that for every artist every musician who's ever lived in <laughs> history i think eric clapton would be
3: maybe the very last one i'll listen to 90s leonard Skinner. anything <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think
0: of Andy. Uh, andrews that's a very good point you know so normally andy kind of touched on it normally andy kind of brings this up but you know there was never any question like we weren't Like, Clapton was like, this is a dark thing. This is... I think we all agreed that Clapton should be touched on because he's such a household name. And it's like, why? Why this guy? You know? Like, there's so many better... because of Pilgrim. Okay. (laughs) This is exactly what I'm talking about. So (laughs) we were talking about Clapton, and then there was just never any question that was going to be an album other than Pilgrim for Sam. It was just like Pilgrim, Pilgrim, Pilgrim. Of course, he's got many many late era albums like 2000s that would obviously be funny there's one called old sock Uh, there's (laughs) this one reptile that's you know there's just a lot of different you know much more old manny kind of late era ones that we could get into um but it was just there was there was no discussion you know it's like sam putting his foot down in a way that literally you haven't even done about about Springsteen like you yeah. were you were going to let that be up for debate but not this yeah not this so why so why was it always this like what's the sh- without spoiling stuff that we'll
3: get into later why this one i don't um we'll definitely get into it um in just terms of what's the album is like and stuff but i do <laughs> think sam's for looking at a 50 page lecture he's got <laughs> pulled up <laughs> <laughs> so eric clapton was born at no I'm just- <laughs> I just I this album uh, before we even get into it, I'll say I bought this album not long after it came out before I was even like really into music I was at like Blockbuster with my dad, I think and they sold CDs at Blockbuster just like a, like a shelf of new releases and I was so taken aback by the cover art of yeah that image, fair enough which I really associate with like late 90s film posters maybe because blockbuster, but it reminds me of like that movie where Robin Williams is, like, a robot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bicentennial oh, yeah, Man? Yes. Uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a little later. That's, like,
0: 2002. But it's, it's okay.
3: All right. Uh, <laughs> I just associate it with, like, that kind of, like, futuristic turn of the millennium thing. But at the time, I was like, I was like, whoa, like, what is this dad? You know, like, that yeah. kind of thing. And he was like, oh, if you want it. Like, you know, if you want this Eric Clapton CD. Um, um So the cover art for anyone yeah. who isn't looking at it,
2: uh, is sort of like a full moon over the horizon and. There's like a man's kind of downturned brow emerging from... Uh, this reminds me of when you described the, the <laughs> yeah. JTOL.com. Yeah, this comic. is my favorite recurring Yeah, uh, <laughs> Sort of emerging from the tides. It does have like, you know, the galaxy brain meme kind of like aesthetics of like the mind is one with the water and the moon or something like that. And I read that Clapton, the concept comes from Clapton. The original plan was that he was going to do the art himself, <laughs>
3: Bad idea. And
2: then the person who ended up doing it is—I can't think of his name—but it's the character
3: designer from Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, I think it's objectively a cool album cover, but it's also just because it was like one of the first things I like wanted for myself, and like it was just always around. So I really have like a sensory nostalgia type thing looking at it, and I feel like I've revisited this album at different times in my life and it's one of those things that never really loses it's like when I listen to it or when I look at it I still do feel like that wave of like childhood nostalgia with it which keeps me from being probably as critical as I should be but I do think it's just like uh, it's just been an important album for me in my life, and I do notice like when I'm at my lowest, I do turn to the title track, which is one of my favorite songs ever.
1: What? Yeah, <laughs> we'll
3: get into this it. This is blowing my mind. This is what I'm saying. Where I'm like, I don't think anyone listening to this is like, even if you love Eric Clapton, you're not gonna be like, yeah, that's like one of his. <laughs> but I love the song Pilgrim. I love the lyrics. I love his delivery. I love the production. I love the guitar solo at the end. Um, and so, to me, the album is like a, like a vessel for that song, which I still think is a masterpiece.
2: My goodness, we're in for a ride today. We are. Um, I'm looking over Winston's shoulder at his computer, which I can do since we're all in the same room, and he's got, as a sort of mood board, he's got Eiffel 65 yes. blue. Atona, totally uh, that's That's like what it reminds me of. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I, I remember the cover of the album Europop, of there's being more like the... But the font... Third Eye Blinds album, blue. Oh, totally. This font, yeah, it's like totally the same. But it's just the same level of blue blueness as the eiffel 65
2: it also sort of reminds me of like maybe like a computer like a cd-rom computer was, game. yeah cd-rom is yeah. definitely yeah. Yeah. That gotten that was like education music. educational yeah. sort of like brain expanding <laughs> yeah. like or like things. a spin-off of mist yes you remember that game? <laughs> yeah. like it has a
4: very Mist kind of vibe yeah i mean the cover I, like i had never seen the cover before uh you know researching this episode but it Kind of took my breath away. I was like, I was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, is, Am I thinking of Journeyman? You know, or like? Right. And so I was just picturing something with Clapton's face. And right. Then I saw this cover. I was like, Whoa, that's not what I expected. So yeah, actually, it's a lot of things about this that I didn't expect,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. It fits with the level. <laughs> it, yeah. The cover the cover the music on it. It's it's a direct ratio of like expecting the Journeyman yes. cover and the music on Journeyman totally. to the cover of Pilgrim and the music on. Yeah. 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 Did yeah. not expect. it Yeah, Yeah,
3: he's confounding expectations every step. (laughs) It's making
0: me really nauseous, just your complete (laughs) adulation about this shit.
3: We have a lot to get into. Before, I will also say, yes, I know he's a terrible person. I'm probably going to be doing a lot of- Stipulated. Yeah, I'm going to stipulate if if, the the things he has said have made it so that you uh, hate Eric Clapton. I totally understand, totally get it. Awful, inexcusable. Uh, Don't recommend him as a person, for sure. All right yeah i guess that
0: excuses it um, and he's
4: been in the news lately as you know teaming up with van morrison to talk about so yeah. it's like
0: which goes back to
4: your guys episode on
0: that yeah we should mention that what they they so eric clapton and van who uh, uh regular listeners will know we did a whole uh episode on his sort of alt-right dog whistle blowing uh covid uh double album uh Clapton, at some point, I remember, did did like a team up anti lockdown, like one off song, but now they actually have a super group called like the Rebels or what's it called? Do we know? I think it's the Rebels. The Rebels. I guess
2: Prophets of Rage was taken. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is the first song, Where Have All the Rebels Gone? on latest record project, volume one. Sort of like their super villain theme song now, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. They must play that one. Um,
0: Yeah, another villain interesting who's who we we'll, we'll have to decide who's the bigger villain van or Clapton that'll be it's not necessarily a clear cut thing well, let's quickly I think let's just do up how's everyone doing seriously, this is the end of the the season, so it's a time to reflect and also just catch up with Mark, who we haven't seen for a while and uh yeah, what's going on? how are we doing? It's great to finally see Andy's place, yeah. We haven't. None of us have been up here.
2: Yeah, I'm very good now that you guys are here. You know, that's a, a positive thing in my life. It's been a it's been a tremendous life change, professionally, uh, location wise, just sort of lifestyle that has kind of developed in tandem with this season of late era. Mm-hmm. And uh, things are strange still, you know. But uh, for the most part, I'm pretty good. I've had some good gigs with Garcia peoples recently. I'm working hard in my new gig as a bartender Uh, at the not the most recent GP show, but the one before that, I met a couple lovely late era listeners who were um, just going deep on uh, certain aspects of the pod with me, which was really exciting and fun. It's nice to know that people out there are listening and and care about what we do. And Grady's. And Grady's, yeah. Yeah. I spoke to a guy named Aaron, who I know a little bit from shows and stuff, uh, who told me that he's like, you know, you can only hear someone recommend something so uh, incessantly for so long before you just sort of break down and have to try it. Like, I got the sense that we had been sort of like wearing him down until eventually he just sort of broke and was like, I guess I have to drink some Grady's. And he said it changed his life. Uh, he uh, can't imagine going back to regular coffee, and uh, he was full of gratitude. So we say, "Thank you, Grady." Thank you, Grady. And you, Grady. listeners, you know, it's not hard. You say, you just say a little "Thank you, Grady" next time. Uh, Bless him. You're caffeinating. Bless Grady. Yeah.
0: I, I just I, I have been reflecting on the fact that this is the 20th episode of Late Era and our 38th, 39th because. The death of Terry Kath is not a numerical episode of Welcome to Chicago. Our 39th ep- podcast together, and Grady's has been mentioned on every single one. <laughs> so um, let's, I'm not saying we're heroes or anything, you know, but we're a big supporter of the product. You can use the code LATER at 20 at grady'scoldbrew.com and get 20% off your first order if you live statewide. Mark, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, Yeah,
4: I last time I sat down with you guys, I lived in Brooklyn. uh, And now I also live nearby in a town called Phoenicia, about uh, 35 minutes from here. So um, yeah, I'm loving the summer in the Hudson Valley and in the Catskills. And um, it's uh, feeling a lot better about the world now than I was a year ago. So yeah, things are things are good.
0: Anything you're working on? You want to talk about? Uh,
4: no, just doing my week in, week out stuff. Nothing, nothing to plug. You guys are all making records, but uh, I'm just reviewing. I'm reviewing records and you know, doing my writing. That's about it.
0: Some of us are reviewing records.
3: Yeah, that's true. Day in, day out. Yeah, Same. most of us are. Yeah, you're that's true. Man yeah. Out <laughs> wow, you kind of looked at me threateningly. Like,
0: what's wrong? Yeah. with Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not reviewing records. It's true. I've done a little like PR writing for friends, which kind of feels like writing a record review, but just a really nice one for people that I care about. Yeah. Trying to stay positive coming out of COVID.
3: That's great. That's We should all aspire to that. Um, what's up with you, you sociopath? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so freaked out by you right now. I, I'm sitting like removed yeah. from everyone. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Uh, what's there to say? I feel good. I feel like, um, ending the season on a positive note. Um, like, uh, Andy suggested, it's been a real journey. Um, settling into the new apartment. Um, I feel like giddy to be hanging out in a space podcasting with you guys. Um, yeah, life is good. I feel good you just released a great new album i mean
0: sam just turns out classic after classic many a year yeah record is infernal harvest yes i got the advance on it before it came out and been sitting with it a while how do you feel how you feeling after the release here it just came out yesterday
3: good how else would i feel that's you know it's another another hit um yeah i've gotten some nice feedback on it so grateful for that um is it pilgrim love? I mean, it's approaching some of the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Were you influenced um, by
0: pilgrim at all when you?
3: Uh, I mean, like I will say, if you listen to my music and you listen to the song "Pilgrim" by Eric Clapton, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's always about
1: this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like I really do think that is like a song I think about lyrically, structurally. Um, I would say I was more inspired by it last year. Um, But yeah, there's probably no to that on there. You know, an artist always carries his influences with him. (laughs) Winston, how are
0: you doing? Man, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's up, it's an up and down time. But uh, I'm feeling, I'm like, you know, I think everyone in their own way is is struggling with coming out of COVID and figuring out how to, how to handle things and some existential stuff around that. Um, But I'm like, yeah. As the past few podcasts, I think I've said, I was like going insane from finishing some stuff on my, on the office culture album. Uh, but I'm kind of putting that behind me for the time being as it's being mixed. And I'm, I'm just, you know, for a while, I feel like I wasn't listening to much music other than that and the late era albums, which it makes you a bit insane. It's like you want to be into like have some other thread going there. <laughs> it can be quite a, quite a, uh, you know, Magna Carta Holy Grail back to your record or whatever it is. Ariel Ariel actually got me on a nice little different kick and anyway, filling my life with other stuff right now. Trying to look after myself, take my take my walks and just be at one. Be at one with the universe. Do you know, you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, sort of like the face on the Pilgrim cover, I think. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, there there are aspects of this album that felt like I could I could relate to for sure um, in that way. Yeah, I'm just I'm just marveling at everything we've gotten done this this season. I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time, but now I'm just a little bit more frightened to where we might be getting into. Um I think it's worth for this one before we launch into Sam Sam's obviously taking care of the history segment. Well, we got a few things to do. Yeah. You have another thing you have to close out and you know what it is. Yeah. And A a settling of accounts, we might say. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Last time was just like, felt like there was nowhere to go after that, the rival three financial corners. But I think, I think, Andy, that yours was boring as hell. <laughs> we People learn something,
2: but I, what I was I've hearing been, was I've been like, getting a lot of good feedback uh, from people in the crypto community. I, I was
0: getting like, that could be cut down by a third. And it's like, why, why didn't Andy refer to like a Reddit post that he wrote? Like, if you want to learn more, go here. <laughs> as well, opposed to talking as had, much as Had you I did.
2: known that people actually wanted to learn more than what they heard, I would uh, have linked, yeah, some of the stuff that I've been doing on Reddit and, and some of the forums in the dark web. Uh, get at me if you want to you know know more about the real uh, vanguard of investing and stuff maybe we'll talk privately signal yeah on signal of course
0: I gave some bad advice I admit that's not this isn't my role so I I I don't know what is your what's your last piece what's the last what's where are we going to conclude this well I'm so glad you asked Uh, I want to thank
4: everyone
3: who's joined me on this financial journey (laughs) (laughs) Is that your advice? No. Over the last 10 episodes, I've learned a lot, and I think we all have learned a lot, and that's why I want to make this announcement that I'm... (laughs) I'm out.
0: (laughs) You're out of what? You're out of what?
3: I'm retiring from the finance game.
0: (laughs) So you secured the nest egg. I secured it.
3: (laughs) I just can't... I don't even care about the nest egg anymore, and I will say, like... (laughs) Coming upstate and being in this like beautiful location, it really has taken me it's taken me back and I've realized how off track my life has gotten over the last uh couple months this year that I've been on this kick. And, and in terms of preparing my advice for this episode, I went back and I listened to a lot of the advice I've given and I thought, Who is that guy?
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: I think that too. I mean I it's like I was talking a different language at times I just did not relate to it I was talking about uh, autonomous, zone. <laughs> <laughs> autonomous zones autonomous <laughs> zones yeah, yeah between just... North Korea and South Korea it was <laughs> yeah. just no and I think and like this cutthroat <laughs> world of podcasting. <laughs> and you're, you're keep it together, man. Jesus. I it's just tough for me because I, this has been a huge part of my life. And it's hard to let go of something because <laughs> anyone <laughs> who knows me knows finance has been like my number one. <laughs> Sam, did you lose a lot of money? Can no. you just be honest? No, I didn't, lose, I didn't lose anything. What I lost is time. And that's something you don't get back. And that's real, and that's the realest thing I've ever said on this podcast. That last, that's, that, a good, that's a good piece That's piece of advice. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice to close and out on. And the, the thing that I really noticed is that it wasn't just me. It's because if it was my trip, that's fine. But I noticed the way it affected our friendship and the way we talked at each other and the way we snapped at each other, even to this day, and I want to put an end to it. Us bickering. I want to put an end to the bickering, the competing, because we we started this with the best of intentions and... The finance thing it started with good intentions, and it was a good idea. And a lot of the advice is really good. <laughs> I started with fucking hating it, and and that's I came around to liking it. And then Andy
0: thought that he was had one hung out with a friend one time, and then suddenly thought he was a financial expert.
3: Spiritual wellness is where I'm at, and that's the stability I'm looking for because that's the stability that sticks with you. That's what stays. That's good.
0: And so that's where I'm at. That's that's a nice counterpoint to the last season, which ended with you basically being on steroids. <laughs> As that <I>
3: recall? <laughs> Look, I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot, and I'm ready to bury the hatchet. I'm ready to start fresh, and I want to thank people, and I want to thank people for all the letters I've okay, gotten. Okay, let's move. Let's and uh, thank you. That was uh, fi- my financial corner. Oh, sorry that you had to sit through that, Mark. It's always good. Really great to see it up close after following
0: the uh, the arc of it over the whole season. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to save You Know What for a bit later. Let's, uh, it's it's sad to have to cue Sam back up to talk more, but (laughs) I feel like I need to just take a deep breath. Are you okay? Would you like to recite some of the lyrics to Pilgrim or (laughs) anything
3: like that? No, not yet. All right. Tell us about Eric Clapton. Okay. So here's my approach to Eric Clapton's discography and just his career in general. And again, I'm not trying to convince anyone who doesn't like him. This is more just like the zoomed out view that I take of Eric Clapton and how we get to the album Pilgrim. Um, So basically, I think one thing about Eric Clapton is that he has the most auspicious start of any classic rock artist. Um, For a while, it's almost like he can do no wrong. Something that I think is important to remember is that the whole Clapton is God thing basically happens before he's even famous. That's just him as, like, a local musician. You know, he's just known as this kid who loves the blues and who has a really distinctive style on guitar. I think the Slohan nickname comes when he's just, like, a local guy playing in bands. Um, And so he spends the first few years of his career really just um, like a prodigy and jumping around from project to project and, you know... Some of those, I think, are great. A lot of them, I think, are great. I think the album he does with um, John Mayle, Blues Breakers. To me, that's like one of the great classic rock albums. Um, It's just a great sound, there's great playing on it. And for a little bit, he's like Mr. Integrity. Like, every time he leaves a band, it's like, they want it to go pop, and I want to stick to my guns and, like, the music I like to play. So you get all these different bands, Cream, Blind Faith, He puts out a solo album. And then this culminates with a project he calls Derek and the Dominoes, as a way to sort of recede into the background of it and not be the center of attention. And he crafts this album thinking it is his artistic masterpiece, like it's the album that he's been dreaming of making. And that album is Layla, and uh, it's like Layla and Other Songs or something is the title. And his line on it is that he made that album because he was in love with George Harrison's wife, Patty and he made this album in the hopes that she would hear it realize it was about her and choose him over George Harrison well, that was the problem with me and Eric oh Jesus <laughs> there was always an issue
0: and he's the best guitar player I'd ever met
2: but uh, he just couldn't keep it in, in his pants and he I just want to are you doing an impression right now or Dwayne Allman
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not doing an Im- impression. I'm just. Uh, I. Uh, we went through many, many hard times together, and many times of spiritual rebirth. Uh, wh- and uh, when he fell on his ass at the uh, concert for Bangladesh because he was on so much heroin, I. Uh, Came and picked him up. I
2: think Ringo. His Star guitar, was his guitar was really gently the... weeping. I'm player. just gonna
0: let this
3: keep rolling. Uh, uh, Jack Jack Bruce.
0: Uh, <laughs> his guitar was, if you didn't hear the joke, it was gently weeping that night. And
3: uh, <laughs> if you didn't hear the joke, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I was also also. I'm a I'm a more understated guitar player than mm-hmm.
2: uh JJ Kale and. Uh, it uh
0: <laughs> I, didn't, I think i i think i have some I notes know. here <laughs> about <laughs> who i uh but uh, all things must indeed pass and so did our friendship <laughs> my friendship with mystic mr eric clapton and we're british men and you know we take great pride in our
2: identities and our style of moving up and down the neck and the frets I think the, for the first time <laughs> ever the answer just might not come yeah, <laughs> i'm at a total loss and, Is it, uh,
4: it's not jimmy page and uh
2: in, indeed uh
0: the broke uh the crackage what the <laughs> the uh piggies uh I, I you know i i once bought a farm and i had pigs on that piggies on them and uh Eric came over and uh, a, him and Patty were flirting. Please, please, somebody <laughs> <on the> cry. <laughs> All
3: right, so it's George Harris. Thank man. you. Obvious. Uh, yes. I just okay, was starting yeah, to make uh, up stories. Yeah. I, mean, I think that probably happened. I think it was a good impression. I bet he owned a farm. Yeah, yeah I bet he had pigs on the farm. Is, yeah. pig, is Piggy's a Harrison song? Mm hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't
2: know that either. <laughs> what? I, for some reason, I was, it seems more like a Paul song in my head, the sort of silly music hall God. aspect of it. I thought I was an imposter
3: on yeah, this episode. Yeah, I guess
2: so. Come on, guys.
3: Well, is that
2: is that your
0: last impression? <laughs> That's my last impression of the season. Sorry, guys. But I really I really went all in with the last two weeks, I think. So, I like how
3: you snuck it in there. Like, yeah, yeah. It was just so disorienting. It yeah, exactly. <laughs> knocks me off my feet a little bit. I got to remember where I was. Sorry, uh, let's get back into the story of this horrible man. Yes. So Layla does not win him the love of his life, and that's his line on why after this he sort of uh, st- slows down and gets dabbles in uh, drugs and drinking, and his addiction becomes a serious problem. I personally think he got pretty burnt out from moving so fast, kind of ran out of ideas uh, when he makes the album. Uh What's it called? The, uh, the big one. Uh, when he makes, f- uh, 461 Ocean Boulevard, I think he's sort <laughs> the of s- big one. That's the big one. <laughs> <laughs> he sets the template where he's like, ah, oh, you know what? I don't even have to write songs for my albums. Like I can just sort of like have a great sounding guitar, a good sounding band. And you know, it'll be enough.
2: Is that the album that he like made in Miami? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is uh, sort of responsible for the Bee Gees big breakthrough yep. yeah. in a way.
3: Exactly. Um, and like one of the saddest and funniest scenes in any rock documentary is in the documentary about him that came out a few years ago where it gets to this point and he starts talking about um his alcoholism and he's like the period when I was drinking, I don't look back on fondly. And it, there's this montage of his entire solo career, like just one album cover after another, which is like the reason I was watching the documentary was to like learn about these albums. And it's just like, boom, slow hand, another, like every album, the 80s ones he made with folk Collins, you're like, when is this going to end? But like, <laughs> That's the part of his life he doesn't look back on fondly. Exactly. It's, it's basically like, his entire recording career. His entire career. recording career. So you really do get like two decades of just like, uninspired work. Um, We listened to one of the albums on the car ride and there's just like no life to it. There's no heart there really. And it sort of just comes down to his collaborators. He makes an album with like the band. That's kind of cool. Um, Makes some albums with Phil Collins that are very of their time and sort of if you're into that sound. Um, But then what happens and the reason that I think Eric Clapton is so important to talk about on this podcast is incredible to me and insanely impressive and i think if you are an artist making music right now and you want to make it to your late career and you want to reinvent yourself and sam's holding up his hand like a (laughs) politician okay so we just stabbing (laughs) at the the end. this is when he basically writes the late era rule book so in 1989 we get journeyman which is a very specific kind of late-era album that many people are going to try to replicate, which is the sort of, like, I've seen it all, like, this is me, this is my life. He's, like, doing, like, Hound Dog, like, old rock and roll. He's doing, like, current stuff, and he goes back to, like, the early sound of his music. It's very much like my life in album form, a little like um, Trilogy by Frank Sinatra, but in, like, the pop-rock context. Huge hit, um... I think he's sober when he makes it like it's the first album of sobriety and he's like he looks older on the cover and wistful and like remorseful and it totally works totally brings him back after that he invents another kind of late era album which is um mtv unplugged huge hit massive like The big one, probably the best-selling album he ever made. I mean, that could probably be fact-checked, but I didn't do it. It it did go diamond. It goes diamond. Like so many people buy this by an artist who's like several decades into his career, and now he's wearing glasses and like a cardigan or whatever. Big glasses and big. Yeah, and he's like, this is another thing that a million people are going to try to replicate. Like any artist from the '70s is looking at that and being like, okay, how do I do that? You know, how do I get my song on the radio, sell? an album to every parent in America. It's like his supernatural moment. Yeah, but it's also like, I mean, it's the Back to Basics acoustic album, which becomes such a thing. After that, he makes this album called From the Cradle, which is one of our favorite types of late era albums, which is the I Speak I've always, for yourself. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Don't ever say our we Sorry. Which episode. is me and Andy's favorite. <laughs> which is the I've always been a blues man. These are the songs I know by heart. I'm just gonna walk in the studio with my boys and we're gonna bash this out in one session. Which we we could
2: compare. Obviously, to uh, his honking on Bobo moment. It's he's his, made like
3: five uh, honking on Bobo. Yeah, yeah true. At, five to ten honking at numbers. this point. But that was the first. That was the first. And as far as I know, the he, original Bobo. Yes, mm-hmm. Bobo Senior.
0: <laughs> these are these are these are are, are are this album is bookended by kind of Bobo esque. I mean, one of them, of course, is the the, the right after it comes the BB um, King. Uh, Riding Riding with with the King king. Uh, So that's when he really Flips into the into bluesman mode. Yeah, and he does uh, like that. BB
2: King, little known fact, actually stands for Bobo King. Yes. Well, one thing I will say in Clapton's defense is
0: he did start playing the blues. He didn't, you know, he wasn't uh, from Mississippi or what, but you know, he did
3: his first recordings are. That's what I'm saying. Blues. It makes sense for him because this really is like the roots. Like it's blues breakers and it's the music he came up on. Like. So it from him. All of these things to me are pretty organic statements. None of them seem like cash grabs at the, in my opinion. At the time, they just happened to grab a ton of cash. Like, it, and then other people followed it and turned it into a cash grab thing. In my opinion, this is sort of back to financial corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> none none <of> this are- <laughs> is, unfortunately, none of
0: this is addressing that the music sucks. You know what I mean? Like,
3: yeah, I mean, this- I'm not like. Look, yes, Nick Cave is like a better late era artist than Eric Clapton because the mu- the songwriting's the music is better. But <laughs> was Nick Cave? Remember you brought up Nick Cave in
0: the Jay Z episode. You got a Nick Cave thing happening. Well, next. I mean oh, that's
3: true. I've I'm, yeah, I guess I did. I'm just thinking Nick Cave lately. But I do think like when you're talking about like the important late era artists, here's an artist who totally came back from like a decade of shit. Right, the and- tragedy. thing. Yeah, that's a good. And, oh, I wasn't even thinking about the death of his child. I was more just thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway, anyway. anyway. Okay, but anyway, so there you go. That's like a run of late-era albums where it's like, this was kind of unprecedented, was a pretty big success, and that's what leads us to Pilgrim, which comes after another type of late-era statement, which is his anonymous electronic album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. This is crazy and this will probably be a big revelation to a lot of listeners. So Yeah, so between um, when uh, it was mentioned that this was his first album of original material in a long time, it's because of that run where MTV Unplugged is like a live set from The Cradle is all blues covers and then that is so, um, like the MTV Unplugged thing is so monumental and huge that he sort of takes a step back while he's also grieving the death of his child who died um, in the early 90s, I think. And is sort of like, well, what am I going to do? You know, the easy thing would be to like make an acoustic album that sort of houses Tears in Heaven type songs, which to his credit, he never does, you know, maybe because he didn't even want to try to repeat that. But also he immediately follows MTV Unplugged with a blues album and then sort of uh, works on this electronic album, which we can listen to a little of. It's released under the name TDF, which stands for Totally Dysfunctional Family. Mm. The album is called Retail Therapy, <laughs> which is because I guess he was buying a lot of clothes during this era. <laughs> but to <laughs> cope from... Very expensive suits. <laughs> yeah. And if you think of him then, he's like the boxy
0: double-breasted suit that was like, he kind of owned that for the 80s. Yeah. And wasn't it made... It was It was
3: made because they got asked to do music for an Armani. Yeah. And so they're making music for an Armani uh fashion show Um, he and his collaborator find they are really enjoying this and they make a whole record uh, experimenting with Pro Tools and new technology Eric's in a corner ripping solos but not Eric what's his name right X Sample (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. <laughs> he had a non nom de plume. It's his, his pseudonym. Yeah. Um, I have it over there, but in the I have a CD copy of this, and in the liner <laughs> so, Yeah, that, see, let's just pause <laughs> for a second.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sam has a CD copy of Eric Clapton's Drum and Bass, yeah. alter ego album. This I, I bought just because I was like, I need to know what this sounds like. Which when it's is, not on it's yeah. pretty rare. It's, yeah. it's not on streaming. It's yeah. not even mm-hmm. very well re- represented on YouTube. Yeah, it's like it. It lives under the radar, which I think was their goal with it. And in the liner notes, they're all wearing um, the space helmets, which Daft Punk, you know, ahead of (laughs) their time. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we were –
2: Mark mentioned it, The Fireman, which is like Paul McCartney's uh, kind of similar – his, like, ambient techno project from the 90s, where he started off being an anonymous contributor to that, but eventually, like, sort of, for whatever reason – It became, like, by the last Fireman album, Paul's, like, singing songs and stuff. So it is kind of cool that Clapton really, that this one truly kind of stayed as an under-the-radar thing. And, like, you know, Paul's ego sort of eventually surfaced in the Fireman. And that didn't really happen here. So that's kind of neat.
3: I will say that, like, the press found out it was him and totally blew their spot. And in his memoir, Clapton is like, which is a shame because it was a great album. And he wanted it to be understood on its own own merits. Can we hear a little bit of that?
2: (laughs) It's like completely unreal.
4: I mean, nobody knows this exists. This is like introducing it to the world. Yeah, yeah.
0: Really, people should should all know. This is again, this is TDF. It is Eric Clapton's (laughs) (laughs) electronic uh, alter ego project from 1997.
2: this, like, it sounds like, I wouldn't blame you if you were listening to this podcast and thinking that we're, this is like an extended bit that we're doing and it's not actually true. It's very much true. <laughs> but this is a real thing.
0: Another, another part of it is that he was in a relationship with Cheryl Crow at this time and it's rumored that Cheryl Crow was also involved in this album, but not credited.
4: And his partner in that is Simon Climey,
0: is that his name? Yeah, who I yeah. wasn't familiar with outside is... Right, Mercoma. but he's
4: he's the guy, I like, programming the beats
0: there. So well, it's, just, it's just, let let you know, drink in how fucked up this is, listeners. Yeah.
3: I mean, I do want to pause because I, I think that it's like, that is what I look at Eric Clapton and I think about because it's like, I bring up Nick Cave because I'm like, well, who has a late era like that where it's really just like, just such a concentrated burst of c- commercial rejuvenation creative rejuvenation even if it's not like the most the best music it is kind of like he was all over the place and he was like totally like writing his own rule book at that time and I'm like I can't really think of another example of someone like that yeah
0: he's it's so interesting I mean another another thing that's going into Pilgrim is that he had a hit the year before the release of TDF
3: Produced by Babyface called Change the World, right? That's the one that's called Change the World. Which, yeah, which is kind of the combination of the success of that song, which was for a soundtrack to a film, and the electronic stuff he was doing with TDF is what forms the idea for Pilgrim. Right, right. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, Babyface is like strumming the guitar in this video. Um. This is almost a song that I
4: I've heard and never quite connected to Eric Clapton. Yeah, I, yeah, but I never really thought who it was
0: either. I was just like, but of course, now it's very obvious
4: to me. But S-
0: some of this has the same effect as listening to Chicago for me. It's just like in the air, kind of.
3: Sorry, yeah. I know Sam's probably
0: really offended by that. No,
3: I mean it's definitely like that kind of music. It's uh, grocery store music. So, baby. Fi-
0: Simon Clime, Climey is is on Pilgrim, but Babyface is not, I don't think.
3: I think he just like does some uncredited musical stuff on it. I don't think he produced anything. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Climey's all over this, though. Yeah. So... We've arrived at Pilgrim. So we've arrived at Pilgrim, which to me is a different type of late-era album, but a slightly more nuanced one where I don't think you can look at it and say, like, this is a type of album other than just the surface-level stuff of, like, going in on the pop sounds or the adult contemporary sounds, um, because it's complicated. At the time, Eric Clapton says his idea for it is he's like, I want to make the saddest album of all time. Yeah, which is...
2: That's sort of like a, almost like a spine, it's like a spinal tap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um,
3: Yeah, but I think that comes from a place of him being like, you know, since Journeyman, my last set of original songs with vocals, I've gone through a lot, you know, like a lot of things that most people don't have to go through in their lives. And I've done it all in the public eye and I've done it all while achieving a crazy amount of success. And you know he has these new tools at his hands, which are like these kind of pristine electronic sounds. And he's like, the idea is to combine those sounds that he hasn't really used before with lyrics that are deep and intense and philosophical, and to try to make an album that quote the way he describes it is like something I pour my heart and soul into. And so self conscious, yes, it is. It is a little sociopathic to be like, <laughs> let's make the saddest record. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, you're going, you also like it's a crowded field. Let's like, uh mind my son's death a little bit more here, yeah,
0: but it's it's moving for you. But I mean, let's right, I mean, let's get into it. I, I, I am curious, like, how how like receptive other people are to Clapton, yeah, I was in gonna general, say, but like.
3: Because I feel like that was an insane run I just went on, and I would love to just <laughs> Certainly check it in. It honestly sounded like you're yeah. just getting warmed up. But. <laughs> I would love to check in with yeah. people, how everyone's feeling at this point. Yeah, that's a good
0: idea. How, how before? Let's do a little therapy after listening to that, and then we can actually talk about the record. Mark, are you okay? Doing okay. Um,
4: as I said, this there's a lot of surprises with this record, um, and you know my history with Eric Clapton. Like I, I've never owned an Eric Clapton album. Um, but like my first big musical interest was classic rock. So certainly he was cream and Eric Clapton were like stuff I heard, but I just was never, it, it, one of the things that's interesting that you mentioned, Sam is like, um, of all the sixties guitar heroes who have like a, you know, blues derived rock style, blues rock style. Like I always have a hard time pinpointing, his, I recognize his guitar tone, but I don't have a good sense of like uh, his his playing as a style. You know, I mean, it's it's obviously like his calling card or whatever. But like, I think that's why I never quite connected with his music. Is like compared to Dwayne Allman or somebody. Like, I never had an emotional connection to his guitar playing, even though I could obviously tell it was skillful. But um, but yeah. So like, and. Honestly, my idea of his music was completely frozen at, um, I guess, honestly, like, the August album, which is right before Journeyman, was just, like, some ways started that, like, Phil Collins, Michelob rock style of, like, Steve Winwood was doing his record and Phil Collins and Eric Clapton, and, like, that was a huge part of my childhood is, like, seeing the ads and um So it's like that, when I think of, like, older Eric Clapton, that's right where my mind was. So, like... It, it was yeah, it, very interesting to listen to this album. It's like, this is not what I expected at all. So that's kind of where I'm at, and I'm excited to talk about it further.
2: Uh, yeah, I feel like my feelings about Clapton are kind of similar to Mark's in that like I was into... A lot of the music that was happening around Clapton like is very formative for me, but I never gravitated toward him in particular as an artist. I think in part because the stuff that I was first exposed to was like My Father's Eyes from Pilgrim and Tears in Heaven and probably Change the World as well. And they're just like, they're such like soft songs. And like My Father's Eyes in particular, and even Change the World like I do kind of like now, but it just, you know, I was more interested in like Jimi Hendrix or whatever. And to me, like, so I, I didn't, have a sense of Clapton as this, like, rock and guitar guy. I kind of knew that that was true, but the music that I was hearing by him was all this, like, very kind of sentimental, um, soft music. And then I guess as I grew up, I don't want to, like, be on some kind of moral high horse, but I did kind of have a sense of, like, reading about what his kind of attitude was about, like, immigrants in the UK and stuff, and comparing that to the fact that, like, you know, a lot of what he did was... Um, appropriated pretty directly from um, black people and just kind of being like, this guy just doesn't really seem like someone I really want to expend the effort on like learning more about. Um, yeah, I always think about him like in The Last Waltz. Uh, that's like a high point of Eric Clapton for me. I always, I get a kick out of like that scene where him and Robbie Robertson are trading licks and Robbie's like, so fucking sweaty and looks like he's gonna die and then like the camera like cuts over to clapton and he's like totally cool as a cucumber like i don't know that yeah. that gives me like a cool vibe about him uh but yeah it's just never been my thing yeah i i i actually some of the first
0: lps i ever owned were fresh cream and disraeli gears i i you know my parents didn't really listen to contemporary rock radio or anything we weren't really into rock music my dad had like when I was like, I'm trying to get into good rock music. My dad, like, felt like he had to, like, rack his brain, kind of, because he's more into, like, folk music and jazz and stuff, and think about things that he thought were on the better end of music when he was, like, in college and stuff. And Cream was one of those things, but it was introduced to me as, like, Cream had a really unique sound. This band was really cool, bridge into, like, you know, like, he's like i hate the blues stuff before that cuz it's appropriative and like that and he thought that like the 70s stuff was just crappy 70s music i guess i, I don't know i i my entrance was just like this rec- like these two records or especially Disraeli Gears are like some of the classic albums and i felt that way for a long time and then they started to kind of irritate i started to like not never want to listen to them I revisited them later because I, I started getting into like Ginger Baker as a figure, like the Fela stuff in that documentary for where Mr. Baker. I like revisited cream a bit and they did have, you know, a really distinct sound and uh, I can appreciate that. But my other early experience with him was like seeing, I feel like PBS, like awards, award show things or like, I want to say like PBS specials. Like I remember, I remember seeing him play, like, alongside Buddy Guy and being like, well, one of these two men is extremely embarrassing. Like, you know, like, I was like, this guy looks like a fool next to Buddy Guy, you know, like, I, I, or BB King or whoever. I was just like, this is so corny. Like, like just the way he does, like, his blues voice. I thought his voice was awful, you know. Um, And in terms of, like, us being, us doing this podcast in the first place and me thinking later albums and later figures are funny i think clapton is like completely formative maybe the most formative artist for that like this is funny to me because i i thought that it's just like why is this guy you'd see him up there like this guy is supposed to be cool this guy is the household name like i just thought all that blue stuff was just so corny you know um and then, yeah, then later I just heard that he was, like, throwing the N-word around and, like, just thought he was, like, why would I spend any time trying to defend this guy? And and fi- and finally, I mean, I also think now I- – I was talking to my friend who's a guitar player about this, and I kind of want to, like – I find him to be the definition of, like, a person who just has a bag of tricks instead of creating, like, linear lines or taking you on a journey with a solo. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, like, I th- you know – I like the wall my guitar gently. There's exceptions to this rule, but especially you know when he's kind of phoning it in or doing the blues thing overtly, it's just like,
1: but
0: it's like here's a night, you know they don't they don't take you on a journey as as Mark said. I I feel the opposite of emotion. I feel like I hate guitar solos. You know, it's like oh, or like this is why people hate guitar solos. You know, like this is why people hate this kind of music. And uh, yeah, I will say
4: like. I, I, I am a fan of uh, some of his 70s singles for sure. And now when I think of him, I kind of later in life, I started exploring J.J. Cale records. Uh, yeah, it's those, really fun to collect his records because yeah, you don't are great. see him that often. And they're kind of all the same, but they're kind of all really good. And um, when you realize, like I absolutely love J.J. Cale, and obviously 25% of Eric Clapton's pre-August career was... JJ Cale. So you know, so, borrowing yeah. like either his songs or like his style. But um and the other little quote that he had like a very famous quote that I'm sure I read in Rolling Stone when I was a kid, but um, you know, that he essentially said he broke up cream because he heard the band's yeah, self-titled yeah. record. And if nothing else, that points to this idea of like it's very easy for for him to play, you know, these really skillful blues solos, but he was like, I want to be in a band where there's good songs. And like this is a very song album you know his his guitar in this album is pretty pretty minimal in terms of what it's all about and it's very like uh i'm not saying the songs are great we'll get into that i guess but uh but it's definitely like a very song focused kind of thing which is was always lurking in the background for him it seems like
3: yeah i think uh, for in the 70s probably one of the things he was looking for when he was so uninspired was like well what would a good Eric Clapton album even sound like? Because the songs people seem to like aren't the ones I write, you know, the band I play with. Another reason he bounced from band to band is he's really hard to work with, you know, and he, like, gets in fights with everyone. So it is kind of like the line between a good Eric Clapton album and a bad one becomes very blurred, where it's like, yeah, he didn't write any of the songs on it. Like, yeah, his solos are kind of the same in every song, but it's like, well, you know, what do people want from him, you know? Which I think becomes a kind of identity crisis that he spends decades living out.
2: Uh, well, another interesting thing um, that the Mark's mention of J.J. Cale kind of reminded me of is I also feel like there's this sort of through line with Clapton of, like, J.J. Kale's one good example of, like, kind of hooking up and, I guess, becoming friends with him and then sort of Clapton's whole thing becomes sort of like a J.J. Kale thing. Previously, like, he had... Uh, like, asked to join Delaney and Bonnie and was playing with them, and like the Layla album and Derek and the Dominoes kind of like sounds like Delaney and Bonnie. Like, uh, it feels like, and his sort of jumping around from project to project, there is almost a sense of him as like, a sideman who kind of like happens to be the star or who has like kind of rested himself towards being the star rather than the side man, which is like, as you were saying, like early in his career, even he was kind of doing that, going from band to band. And Pilgrim, I will say, and I could be wrong here, to its credit, does feel like an album where he's not like just doing someone else's thing you know what i mean like it does feel like this is an eric clapton album where he's like well i have this very particular vision of what i want to do here and like that's what i'm gonna do
0: i mean to me i mean let's get into to me there's one artist that this does resemble who i know that he admired um it was john martin yeah, it sounds a lot like Glasgow Walker. Yeah, it sounds like later John Martin and it's like in this post-trip hoppy world that John Martin was like ahead of the game on, you know, like one world like he, yeah, he his whole legacy was, was taking kind of this his guitar, this extreme, like mixing these kind of guitar chops in this style with electronic beats and I mean, just incredible albums. I, I love those albums. Um, but
2: his voice sounds like, he sounds like John. Similar. He's got the similarly uh, smooth kind of thing happening, where the voice is almost like just another like watery element in the production. And Clapton has talked up John Martin as him being a big fan. Yeah, I guess yeah. I missed that. Yeah. Can I talk about how we uh, microdosed on LSD and listened to Glasgow Walker in Prospect Park last summer?
1: <laughs> that, I think that, that, was, we can. that
2: was one of the best. Uh, experiences of my uh 2020 yeah i'm listening to john walker uh john martin i'm sorry is like kind of most like slick kind of not even particularly good trip-hop thing while uh tripping on acid it and has some incredible
0: pro. songs on it. It, it yeah that's like right in that vein it sounds like david gray you know i always think of david gray while oh, yeah. for some reason so this is like pre is that like 94 95 or earlier it's- David Gray. No, the, no, the John Mark. Oh, was two, oh the, 2000. No, it's 2000. It's like right it's oh, okay. like a, the year app. It, it really sounds like really sounds like David Gray the production. This is kind of like proto it's between trip hop and that kind of thing. This folktronica sound. So, yeah. I don't exactly know who else was making records that had this we in this general world at the time. I'm sure there were other older artists venturing into this world. But, you know, it does sound pretty uniquely like his world does the way it's just there is a consist, you know. Well, can we talk for just a second about yeah. what the world
4: is? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like what what struck me right away with this record is um you know, it's there's not not a ton of guitar playing and it seems very focused on his voice and his singing. Like it's that's really what it's about to me. Um but also, it's, like, uh, recorded in 1997. And this was definitely the era of, like, post-Dust Brothers back where yeah, it's, like, yeah. if you wanted to sound contemporary, you're like, yeah, we need to get drum loops on there. Right, right, right. And um, so I was thinking, like, like 80s Clapton is so defined by, I mean, probably Phil Collins played on those records, but it's so defined on, like, the, you know the gated reverb on the snare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that was the huge sound of the 80s. And this is totally the sound of the 90s where it's like a program drum loop, and that drives like Pro- over half the songs in a very
3: yeah. conspicuous way. Even the ones that are supposed to be like old school Eric Clapton Blues songs have <laughs> yeah. these awful. Wait, from, play that one. What's the? Yeah, what's sick the- and tired. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, this was... one.
0: This one is in this. this you like this one, Winston? This, it, it's just because it's kind of this unholy mixture of elements that yeah. is kind of fascinating. I don't know if I like it. I, I would know. never have guessed you would have liked this. No, no. I, I see. That's. I hate it because, <laughs> but it's fascinating because it is this. Yeah, didn't you text Sam on the way over like, I know Winston loves white guy (laughs) blues rock. (laughs) I've gone on all these tirades about it. Um, This is funny to me because it's trying to mix these worlds and it just sounds like...
3: I'm going to skip forward to like the strings and stuff. Yeah. It's really weird. It sounds like some kind
0: of demented version of like, like... 2000s Elvis Costello records Kind of like Delivery Man or something I don't know, that's being very nice
3: about it I was also going to say it sounds like a nightmare sequence In Lost Highway like the <laughs> Yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah, like some barb Yeah, like it would just stop abruptly or something Yeah, but yeah, the effort
0: to like Arrange the strings to match these Treacly-ass blues guitar lines Like Just really trying to amplify this Not very good idea <laughs> Just like and I, I think I I can't remember if we mentioned
4: this or not, but this record was co-produced by the, his partner in uh, TDF. Yes, so, yeah. So, um, so I assume that's where the inspiration for like the drum loops came from. And then, um, interestingly, like the uh, this guy uh, Paul Waller, who like programmed the drums for that record, also is like credited with drum programming on this record. And there's something funny about that to me that like. they're like yeah we need like these are the most basic syncopated drum loops you can possibly make but like this guy's credited with like seven (laughs) of them we're like we need to get and that's all he does just get him in here to program the drums
2: he just like cues up like (laughs) preset number three on the drum machine (laughs) exactly the first thing
4: that comes to mind when you think of like a pre-programmed that's uh, yeah
0: yeah it really is the team behind TDF you know you understand why he thought it was important you know um Uh, Yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna hold off on Sam freaking out about the title track as long as possible. Andy, do you
2: have a track you want to talk about? Um, (laughs) you know, I, I sort of enjoyed like Circus. Yeah, Mm. that's on the better side. Yeah. Uh, Often name checked
0: as a highlight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is about his. This is about
2: his son. I know. This has like a kind of nice. Uh, chord change happening um the acoustic guitar like works kind of well even though it's this sort of coffee house sound like they just it melds with the the drum loops and like just the way that is just kind of pleasing to the ear on a very baseline level to me um i also kind of like on this record like the way uh a lot of the intros are like quite long or that there's like these long kind of vibey instrumental passages like... Total John Martin shit. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I like I, I, I definitely like the record a whole lot more when it sort of leans more into the smooth kind of John Martin-esque sound and does not try to make like the quote-unquote like classic Eric Clapton blues rock thing into a part of its sound I feel like that's when it becomes really tedious to me but when it's sort of living in the sonic world that you might imagine when you look at like the insane sort of techno 90s cover that's like I that's like a vibe that I can kind of get on board with
0: yeah what's one of the more what's one of the ones that's more fully in that world because I feel like I
4: was gonna say one chance is sort of an example yeah. of that, and it, it's funny because it begins with vinyl crackle. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> an in an 1998 choice. it was like you know vinyl was that was probably the low point in vinyl culture. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And since you know 1947 or whatever when <laughs> the LP was invented, so like it begins with vinyl crackle, and it's got a very prominent upfront loop here. Yeah. And I was thinking about um listen to that loop, like. uh it was. It's. What, what's interesting about this time in music to me is that the idea of uh, making music with, with drum loops was people thought of as a way of being experimental, not not just c- contemporary, but also like pushing boundaries or whatever. And I actually did this just for fun. I was thinking of like so many interviews back then you would read an interview with a musician they'd say like yeah you know we're really like throwing away the rule book this time and i'm i'm working with drum loops now and (laughs) and it was like that was always the way that you know you're saying like oh wow drum loops okay (laughs) so i was actually like searching billboard magazine which you can you know you can search that online via google books for like experimenting with with loops or working with loops and i found like interviews like john mellencamp and um course there was like the david bowie album outside which is like his drum and bass album came out a year after this so it was like great it, album yeah, yeah it's very earthling in the too. air of like yeah. if you can get like drum breaks on there then it's like that's for, that's forward thinking
0: music you know Yeah, that earthling seems related to this vibe definitely
3: it's a lot that one's like really intense though whereas this goes for the adult contemporary side earthlings like on the Closer to industrial side, I feel more TDF. Honestly, yeah, exactly. It's
0: it's it's a a similar album from a a legacy artist that has a really um, there's a there's a big barrier for entry aesthetically. It feels like to like revisit
3: it. It's also more fearless. Like I feel like on this you can hear him being like, oh, this is a cool new direction for me, but also I don't want to ve- veer too far from what people like about me. So you get stuff like Sick and Tired where he's like, this one's for the people who go way back to the blues stuff, you know, or like just the ballads on it are kind of yeah, right. pro forma. It's it's offset by, uh, uh,
0: and this is one of the more positive elements to me because I Eric Clapton is just king of banality lyric-wise like in a way that, can sometimes be almost okay because it's just like being in a mode like you know the thing about trying to make the saddest album he's like self-consciously in that mode he's using simple metaphors some of which are just comically dumb or like you know uh, just annoying choruses needs his woman or she's gone she's gone's kind of interesting because uh as, as Sam pointed out the, the verses talk about how great the woman is and then she there's no pre-chorus leading into uh, the chorus which is just like she's gone she's great and then she's gone like yeah. there's no like why she left a weird jump cut yeah, yeah. So but I mean the thing is like to the whatever it might be experimental or remotely aggressive or anything about is the is offset by these kind of archetypal now, too easy to process what it is modes that the songs are in. I and mean, the titles are like, yeah, she's gone, you were there, inside of me, fall like rain, going down slow, one chance. You know, it's all this. River of tears. Yeah. Brokenhearted. Yeah. yeah. It's just very all on the nose. With that vibe of,
3: I'm trying to make a very sad album, right? It's almost like he had like 20 titles on a whiteboard, and even before he wrote any of them, and and, and, yeah.
0: and you know other original songs in his catalog work in a similarly on the nose, banal way. But I, I can somehow the consistency and this production style, I can handle a little bit better when it embraces the production style more, as opposed to tries to err on the side of. B- bluesy something or other even though at moments like sick and tired it's like this is almost avant-garde weird level of straddling the line there but yeah then you get things that are basically just ballads with a little bit of like acoustic ballads with a little bit of electronic production which would be like needs his woman or um yeah I could listen to a little bit of that <laughs> falsetto sounds kind of nice there. I think it's auto-tuned, but... This is so John Martin. Just his vo- the way he's singing here. I was thinking Paul McCartney. Uh, like 80's Martin. I, I can't think of a closer correlate to me. Melodically, I know
2: what you mean, but like that frayed thing yeah it's like the grace and danger uh, falsetto kind of or thing. like
0: the glorious fool, or the ones where he was really deteriorating later uh interestingly, in the eighties, Phil Collins worked with both of them at exact pretty much exactly the same time, so there was de- I think there's definitely a big exchange going on there I mean it's kind of hard to talk about. it's seventy some minutes it's long, yeah and it's just a lot of you know Andy's talking about the long intros being kind of like oh, here's something I can, like, rest on and just kind of chill on. But it results in a really long album. Yeah. And uh,
3: then the song parts start, and you're like, please let this stop. Yeah, and a lot of them, they don't take a lot of turns. So it's like you get three and a half minutes into a song, you look down, and there's still, like, two minutes left, and you're like, what could possibly happen? (laughs) Yeah, and and rarely
2: is it anything that, like, surprises you. Right. You know? Yeah, those long intros is
4: often, like, two minutes of a, Quieter, and then it's like the breakbeat comes in. Yeah, <laughs> and then that same
2: loop will go tilt for four more minutes. Yeah, and then that's I, the song. I wonder if that was like I wonder if he was structurally being informed by dance music as well. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but yeah, sort of the thing definitely. of like a track, you know, that is constructed in a way so as to be sort of mixed into another track, so you have like the very long builds and the very long uh, ends, but. It I could also
0: find myself wondering
4: if there, yeah, if there was like a 12-inch of any
0: of the 12-inch of Pilgrim. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I can admit that a 12-inch of Pilgrim would be
3: kind, kind of be sick. sick. I mean, something we should also give him credit for, though, is that that's not entirely new to this record. Like, there's always, structurally, his songs are always interesting or, like, always not pop structures. Like, even Layla, yeah, like, the, the long Yeah, the end of Layla is a good example. Like, he does do those things where it's like... He's trying to break out of being seen as a singles guy or like as a radio guy. It just so happens the rest of the song is like the most radio friendly thing ever. And we do have a, a tie-in on this to one of our fir- the first
0: episode that we ever taped of later, which is that's kind of feels cathartic or something. Yeah. And he does a cover of Bob Dylan's "Born in Time," which is uh, was recorded uh, you know seven years before this on the dylan album under the red sky which we talked about
2: yeah which was sort of like coming across an old friend in an unexpected locale when i first uh, yeah, heard this song on pilgrim yeah. in a
0: dark forest
1: Yeah.
3: and sam at the time sam oh god do you believe your take do you believe what did it? i say that this version's better yeah <laughs> no i don't i don't stand by it but i do think there's a pretty decent dylan cover I like he almost
2: at times seems to be sort of affecting a nineties Dylan yeah. uh, vocal thing on this. The way he pronounces certain words. I
0: mean he had a ongoing relationship with Dylan, right? Like that band album that you're talking about. Dylan yeah. also was a collaborator on that record, did a few Dylan
2: songs on there. I've never no, I'm sort of interested to hear that album. I, I have I've never listened to it. Like that sounds like Dylan, what he just did.
0: Yeah. Do that, we like this, like this song?
3: I love this song. Yeah. I'm not as hot on it as. Do you mean the Dylan song or Eric Clapton's rendition? Kind of both. Oh, I love that Dylan song.
4: I had meant to go back and re-listen to the original, which it was also on. There's like a different version on
0: Telltale Signs, right? Yeah. Uh, that version is. That's that's a yeah. That brings
3: out the best in the song. But for Sam, of course, this is the, the version. <laughs> well, I, something that reminded me of is there's this Rod Stewart album a few years later called Human that is very much in the same world as this that's doing like this kind of like R&B circa late 90s slash adult contemporary mm. classic rock thing. Damn, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm just really, I like that sound. Um, I have a very, uh, I have a lot of space in my heart for music that sounds like that. So yeah, clearly, I'll, yeah, yeah do you want to do your spiel in this? do you have a monologue for this one yeah like, can, can, can we just listen to it all the way through okay like in silence no we okay. can talk okay. through it yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna stare you all down
0: it's really this is where it's really good to be in the same room yeah this, this we're all like staring at each other. <laughs> Everyone's looking <laughs> at the floor, trying. Not Everyone's to make afraid up. to speak because yeah. Sam might. I, I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna just not say anything for a while. <laughs> just, just
4: let Sam be Actually, like. I love that.
0: This song definitely has some cool production. Yeah.
4: It, I, I, I gotta
3: say that. I'm not gonna spoil my thoughts on it yet, but and the first moment his voice comes in is like that this... chills. It's all questions. Every line in every verse is a question. It's like a Phil Elverham move. saying what words do I use like he's talking about the songwriting process mm-hmm. you know and he's talking about to those who've witnessed my tears because he's like they know that like I'm going through it you know they've heard tears in heaven right, right, right. So, like I color my words
1: yeah
3: and there's like a Leonard Cohen thing where he's having the Chorus sing each line before him, which is like I always hear it as like they're stretching their hand out to show him the light because he can't get there on his own because every line and every chorus he's never the first person to sing it.
1: Okay,
0: that is great. That turnaround and, the, and the, when he hits the,
1: the,
0: it's great. Yeah, this song is is good. Yeah, plus
4: his phrasing is just. Unusual, so odd, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it's. I, was a pilgrim for your love. I mean, there's not a lot of. It's his, his vocal is very like naked and uh, it's like
1: living in
4: a almost seems like you know they could have doubled it or whatever, but it's very like on its own and fragile sounding.
1: In the blackest-
3: And I also think it plays with the pristine music really well, just like how bottomed out the lyrics are and his delivery. It's one of the only interesting juxtapositions on the record to me, where a lot of the other songs are like sad music, sad lyrics, or like lush music, lush lyrics, you know. Like this is real, like, uh, like he's like living in a nightmare is what he says, it's like, you know he's trying to really express that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, this is one of the best songs of all time? Uh, it's one of my personal favorite songs. Top 10? Top 20. Alright. W- was this a hit? No. <laughs> okay. Really? I thought this was my hit. Yeah. My Father's Eyes. Was it on the radio? Uh, it was like the last single. Yeah. It was like the fifth single from it. We didn't play My Father's Eyes.
4: What, one of the notes I made on for this song is like, I was, an ima- I was imagining it being used as a sink in some Netflix show, and people being like, "Wow, what's that?" Yeah, yeah. People, being, you know what I mean? Getting like, yeah. it back like, into it, yeah. yeah. where it's like, because if it was in the background of some, you know, some like uh, emotional scene, you wouldn't necessarily think like, "Oh yeah, there was their Clapton. You know, it'd, it'd be yeah. like, "All right, now this
3: part." <laughs> Shut the sounds fuck like up. All the, <laughs> it sounds like all the other. This parts. is this is is this the. Uh, this solo. is the outro into the solo. I love this guitar stuff. Turn it up a little bit. Yeah. But he does this thing where there's like a fake climax and then it stops and then the solo comes. Like you think the climax is the solo, but it's not. And I'm a sucker for that. That's clear. Yeah. Like the strings are building up. Yeah, this,
1: I like this. Blue Nile move. Yeah.
3: Fake out solo. Psychedelic. Yeah, start over. Yeah, that's awesome. Sam, can you play this solo? Hell yeah. Get the guitar. (laughs) We got a guitar sitting here. Play along with it. I just love the the guitar stuff is like bouncing between like major key stuff and then like stuff with like the minor key riff from the very beginning of the song. It's like a solo that sounds like an actual battle to me in a really like lush, kind of relaxed way. That's not showy, but that's really hard to play. And it's almost like fading away. There's like no tone on it.
2: This is starting to get to the Winston's bag of tricks comment to me, mm-hmm. I have to admit. Uh, I, I felt the connectivity, when Sam, but from maybe from Sam's expl-
0: explanation, I started to feel infected by it. I do appreciate any time that he's moving off just blues, like, since he's so prone even on this album to just sit in that world. And there, yeah, there is a little bit more of that sadness and straining there amidst that, so. It, Sam, as a kid, when you were listening to this
4: album, how much time were you actually just rewinding the title track, and how and how often were you listening to the whole thing?
3: <laughs> That's not. I mean, I always liked the title track, but only like in the last like ten years or so has that really been like singled out as like the moment that I would come to this album for. I think like, I mean, I talk about all this now, but when I was like a kid with the album, I think I mostly just liked the cover, and like i probably never made it past like the first three songs, uh-huh. you know. But yeah, now I, I mean, I think about that song a lot, like when I'm writing music, like in terms of structuring things and like getting from the verse to the chorus and then the chorus to the verse and like a solo that binds it together melodically. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I think the most polarizing, the thing that makes it hardest to love is probably like Guitar riff, the main thing. Yeah, it's.
2: I I think it's really cool, but I do wish it was sort of given. The song was given a little bit more space without it, because yeah. like it's cool. It's like, is it? Is he playing it? Is it like being chopped up as a sample? It's really neat. But then like three quarters of the way from the, through the song, I'm sort of just tired of hearing. It's like a wonderful tonight. It makes. It reminds me of like Eminence Front.
4: <laughs> yeah, like. But <laughs> yeah.
3: there, it would kind of like go in the background for a minute and come back. Yeah, and right, right, like always yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love that song too. Um, Yeah, and when he played the song live, I feel like it's a little more tasteful because he's got like a live band behind him. I think he opened shows with this song. and I think it's a cool opener. But yeah, the live version, he's playing that riff on, on his guitar and it's a lot less canned and like tinny sounding. Yeah. Moving. Does he vary it at all? That riff, yeah, but the solo at the end, every time he does, it, like every version I've heard of that song, the solo at the end is different. And How I'd... many live versions of Clapton are you listening to? Let's be honest. Are you listening to Clapton shows ever? No, definitely not. No way. I just like look out ver- for versions of that song just because I'm curious. Because, like, I just think it'd be cool to go to a show and, like, he comes on stage and they jump right into that song.
0: Yeah, that, that was a good argument in favor of that song, and it, it's just so far and away the highlight of the record. I mean, it's like...
3: Yeah, there's nothing... I mean, the last song is kind of like... I always think of it as like a little reprise of that um, inside of me. It kind of takes you back to that world, but it's a lot less uh, cohesive to me. Yeah, This is the one that has a rap verse. Uh, the the album ends with a rap verse, right? Yeah, really the quiet rap verse.
2: It's not spoken,
3: not right? Eric Clapton rapping. No, yeah, scroll We up. should
2: make clear. All
1: things considered, it looks so utopia were
3: far closer.
2: To not exactly. Rap. Yeah.
3: fifteen years could have imagined. Then
1: I projected it six hundred years into
2: the future. So, certain of this like vibe reminds of me of like like a goldie album from the same era Uh where you know like guys who were actually kind of coming from the world of dnb were kind of moving in the other direction of like we're going to have some like jazz soloing on our tracks and that kind of thing and like it's funny to hear like that music is like so amazing and sort of radical for its time and then it's kind of funny to hear that someone coming from the one side towards that and just doing this sort of like totally kind of at least to me often like limp version of this thing that was so similar and like so much more exciting to me that makes me think of have you ever heard the uh Derek bailey album it's called uh drum and bass and guitar oh no but that sounds or awesome. he
4: he just does his free improv thing with like a someone who's programming drum and bass beats oh that, no, that sounds sick. great i mean it's it's I, I don't know if it is great but it's interesting yeah because yeah. yeah. he, he's still just
0: completely himself but it's i know, like hearing, hearing him in weird context them. like that yeah. david sylvian
3: album blemish that he plays on yeah, yeah. um well, should we listen to my father's eyes a little yeah that's the big single yeah that?
0: yeah, yeah let
3: uh i don't
4: remember hearing it on the radio but
2: i guess it must have been oh i did all the time Sam. as a kid yeah. Yeah. yeah
4: this would have been my i would have been very distant from the radio at this time in my life so um this one has like a little bit of a reggae
0: yeah hint of reggae in yeah sometimes if you listen into certain ones on this album i feel like variously a like, yeah oh, is there a little hint of reggae it's yeah like, it's
3: like tasting wine is there yeah. a note, of,
0: note of reggae there
3: this also reminds me of the song I Saw the Sign like I feel like he's lifting melodically yeah from that. oh yeah what totally. were we talking about yeah. what was the other one uh, I Shot the sheriff. I Shot the <laughs> yeah, yeah the, I right mean even right though right it's right. like my father's eyes it's like yeah. I saw the sign yeah totally
2: I don't know why, like, does anybody remember this song by Edwin McCain, I'll yes. Be? Yes.
1: Does song, anyone remember that them?
2: This song and that song, maybe just they were on the radio a lot at the same time, and they both have this kind of, like, tearjerker vibe to them. Uh, I always associate. I like this song now. I hated it as a kid. Like, I it was one that I would, like, make my mom change the channel when we were in the car listening to the radio, but maybe I just have sort of positive it just reminds me of childhood now but yeah. I do like it I, I think it's definitely like a highlight here it's definitely a highlight but I don't like it's it it's one yeah.
3: of the most distinctive <laughs> sort of melodically on the album yeah it's also an attempt to redo <laughs> Change the World which was a huge yeah. hit it really sounds too much like a Ben L 90's hit for me. like
0: yeah. there's nothing really interesting happening like this doesn't go anywhere interesting kind of circles through this progression and there's no development
2: Think, thinking about all the backing vocals as now that you mentioned uh, Leonard Cohen as a comparison point sort of like gives me new appreciation for this sound Sam
3: yeah that's real in River of Tears I feel like he's probably actually going for like a Cohen thing there that's a long song too yeah it's like 8 minutes long yeah, that was a big th- bold second
4: song yeah I yeah, know it just totally s-
0: slows it to a crawl
1: drowning <laughs>
0: In a river when you know you're gonna get an A, you're looking at the runtime, and then you hear this, you're like, "Oh,
2: Christ. yeah." <laughs> In a
3: river of Not a lot of uh, movement My
2: my uh, my partner Gabby and I were doing like a late night listening session that we were trying to get through this whole album, and I think we got about halfway through "River of Tears," and we had to turn on the second song.
0: Rough, rough, rough. It, yeah. yeah, it's a slog. It's a slog, but one of your favorite albums of, of all time. So. I'll
3: say, I think if you uh, take the first six songs, maybe throw in Born in Time, throw in Change the World, throw in that last song, you've got like a nine-song album that I would say is pretty solid. And you throw in one of the um, TDF songs as like a <laughs> wicked outro. track. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's a cool, tight. Some CD bonus track, Yeah. yeah.
0: I I'm just I'm just trying trying to go back through mentally just everything that you revealed about your about yourself, yeah, and your through your Clapton fandom.
3: Let that sit with you for a little bit. let see.
4: And he never. This this was a one off
3: for him. He never. No. He never went back to the sound. That's the thing where it's like, this is an album that is an end point. In my opinion, this is the end of like the late era run in the 90s that kind of brought him back into the mainstream. Because after this, every album is repeating one of those ideas he had. Every album's either like a stripped back, like getting down to basics thing. It's either a blues album or it's like a half-hearted attempt to make like a pop type thing like Uh he has this one album called back home that's kind of like i think his last version of doing that or it's a journeyman thing where it's like it's throwing everything in the pot like the old rock songs the blues like a james taylor type album to me like yeah like james taylor model of album is the journeyman thing which is the uh, the only late eric Clapton album other like after reptile which is the the one after this which Uh, you also love (laughs) I don't love that album, but I know that album. That's, like, probably the last one of his that I would say I know really well. But there's one from 2010 that's called Clapton, and that's, like, the 2010 Journeyman type album where it's, like, really long, all different kinds of songs. Yeah. Well, I want to do a
0: thing after this, but let's maybe do the F&D now. It seems like a good time.
2: Yeah, so... We have arrived at the final segment of our show, Fantasy or Delusion. This is where we offer a binary judgment of everything that we have, that every album that we talk about. Uh, if it's a fantasy, it's an album that we approve of, would recommend. Uh, if it's a delusion, it's an album that we dislike, and there's no uh, room for any middle ground. Um, would anyone like to, to jump in first? i'll jump in first just because i've
3: talked so much and i can i'll cut out after this but i'll say it's a fantasy for me has a song that i love is an artistic turn that i respect um and i thank everyone for joining us on this uh journey along with us journeymen Mm -hmm. and um yeah that's my take
0: it's uh you know a d for me deluge uh I can't give an Eric uh, there's no Eric Cla- I don't know. Disraeli Gears, maybe I would... I can't, I just, I just don't support Eric Clapton, and I, I like the song Pilgrim. You know, ever since we put it in the trailer for this season, I've had it start, it comes through my head. I just can't deny that it's a powerful piece of music, but pretty much everything else in this album, I have no... I, I can uh, take no... I, can, I don't want to listen to it anymore. I don't, you know, but... I do it is a lot better than other Clapton post nineteen eighty that I've heard. Um I respect that it lingers in a mode, that it has a tone, that has it creates a mood, but it, it, it does a lot of irresponsible things within that world that I cannot credit. Um I would g gi- I would consider giving the T D F album maybe a fantasy, but I haven't listened to it enough. I I respect the commitment on that album for
2: sure. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say delusion as well. If if uh, it had been a shorter album that was full of songs like Pilgrim and My Father's Eyes, where the songwriting is strong, there's a lot of attention to creating a particular atmosphere. Had had the commitment to that atmosphere been a little greater, and had like some of the weaker songs that are kind of like just the sort of bluesy retreads uh, lopped off, then I think I would give it a fantasy, but it's like kind of on the verge of creating something that feels re- pretty cohesive and whole and like its own thing, you know, similarities to John Martin aside, like, but it just feels like it can't quite uh, commit to like that vision of itself. So I'm going to have to give it a D. So, uh, I mean the one thing I'll say is i have
4: very much went into this expecting uh journeyman two and um, to the degree that that didn't happen i, I that was a very pleasant surprise um, but I'm definitely gonna have to uh, go with delusion as well um, I think like it's it's cool like it, it's cool that he actually did this once and he he came to this sound for one album and then moved on um, but I just there's no way I would ever return to it, although I did very much enjoy our five minutes going through uh, the title track piece by piece. And um,
0: who knows? Maybe I'll play that
4: again sometime. We'll see.
0: Work it into a DJ set. Yeah. Um, well, this is the season finale, uh, as we've said. And I figured just before we go on this deluxe episode, we could um take a moment to reflect on... on we haven't. We, honestly, we don't know if we're if we're coming back and when we're coming back yet. I'll just put it put it out there. So, late era began in COVID, um, and we're coming out of it now. We're entering a new era in our lives. A late era in our lives. Um, I think of it as I'm going into my late era. But um, so I'm just wondering, you know, what have we learned to the experience of this season and from doing this podcast and. there anything we want to say to each other and then i can we can ask mark what he's learned from listening to the podcast uh but yeah just this is a time to really just be heartfelt and say what you want to say
2: um i think it's given me like new ears about certain types of albums that i wouldn't necessarily always gravitate to uh Without having done this podcast, an album that that really sticks with me that I absolutely never ever ever would have checked out that's sort of similar to this is uh Paul Simon's Surprise, uh his collaboration from Ni- with Nigel Godrich from t- 2006, which was also like a kind of D and B soft pop Brian experiment. Eno. Oh, you know, wasn't Godrich yes, right? Exactly. Yes, that's right. Okay, the, Chaos and Creation. Yes, backyard, McCartney has yes. the Godrich album. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. Thank you uh you know, uh, sort of an old man kind of luxuriating in his old manness uh with uh, while also sort of leaning towards something new and creating something totally weird that like never would have been made by someone who was like young and cool uh, I've learned to appreciate that sort of thing uh, as far as what um I've like, what I'm coming away f- from this podcast with, uh, I just, I'm very happy to have done this journey with with you guys, my two good friends. It's been an excuse for us to get together. And in some ways, like I feel like our friendship has come to be defined by this podcast, which I'm actually sort of eager to get away from. Yeah, that's part of why we need a, yeah <laughs> a break. To just be uh, friends. To do again. Welcome to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess I'll leave it at that. If 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 there's more for late era on the horizon, so be it. And if not, uh, we'll surely be doing other things together. Yeah, Mark, you've you've listened to you
0: know a lot of late era and a lot of Welcome to Chicago, and I've only missed
4: two. I, I think I've, I'm two episodes behind on. Uh on this podcast right, right. which are the last two you've done you did kate bush kate and bush and jay-z and... i have not heard either of those yeah but i've heard of everything else and so uh yeah i mean like f- for me now being here um you know when i first did uh chicago nine with you guys i think that's the one 10, yeah and then we nine? did nine and then we did the other greatest yeah. hits yeah and um you know, now it's been so long since then that now when I'm hearing you in my headphones now, and like, it's it's weird to be in the middle of it because I now associate you guys more with your voices on podcasts than I do like speaking with you in person. <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, uh, thanks thanks a lot for having me. But um, yeah, this the, this has been a great season for sure. I like how you guys—it's—it's uh, it's always evolving in terms of the kind of records you pick, and also you know having guests this season and so on. Um, so, yeah, I was take a break, but then I—I'm really hoping you come back for season three.
3: Yeah, I think I'm gonna do season three with a different, two different co-hosts. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Sam's yeah. always trying to yeah break out, but
0: do his own thing.
3: Yeah, I'm definitely gonna keep it rolling
0: oh that's good to know i guess it's kind <laughs> of like, <laughs> like pink floyd after, exactly. Roger yeah. Waters yeah. after his uh yeah. bruce cost sponsored yeah. what's the
3: cost yeah. side project didn't work out do you have anything to say uh yeah it's uh it's been a pleasure and it's been really cool this stuff like andy was talking about with people coming up and saying they like the podcast or like people who've reached out and stuff it's really gratifying because it's fun to do and Um, it's, it's a different process than, like, writing about music, but it's just as, like, I don't know, I take it just as seriously and enjoy it as much, and it's been really fun doing it with you guys, it's, like, opened my mind to a lot of different things. I think, like, the biggest thing I got intro to through was the Miles Davis record, which, like, totally got me into 80s Miles, so, yeah, it's, um... Yeah, a blast.
0: Wasn't that the first one or not? The second one. second one, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, What to say? I mean, this has just been such a rich creative part. To me, it's all like this rich creative partnership that we started back in Welcome to Chicago and then just getting somebody to let us do this on a network has been crazy. And, and for me, there's this whole other element of like, I edit the show and, you know, that's really a... I put you know it's a really time consuming process and I like just like hearing us talk and like thinking about the dynamics and giving it shape that's been like a really instructive uh fun tax it's been a lot of different things but just uh I don't know it, it is really meaningful to know that people come and listen to it and keep listening or that like something about the dynamic that we have or whatever we can say uh, gets people into stuff or uh, people at least um, find it funny. It means a, a great deal just anytime we we hear from people about it. A lot of COVID has been working on music and then doing this podcast. And I feel like uh, this is podcast and, and doing this thing with you guys is a place where I can truly be all sides of myself and uh, you know, you guys are some are like just dear, dear friends yeah man this is more sincere than i thought it was gonna be i i'm trying to think of what my favorite episode was honking on boba was the most fun i think we had that was just a fun trio ep. Yeah. and then the trilogy episode with greg turkington was amazing yeah that was great because i was since not prepared for the level of knowledge he had about it and he was just it was just so in his element and uh yeah I've
4: had, I've had my eye out for that record ever since like i'm I have seen that one around, so I'm going to pick that up if I see it. That's
0: just like perfect record for this because it doesn't cost very much, and uh, it really does is mind blowing. Like when you hit that, imagine picking that up and listening to it in order, and then getting to that disc and not knowing what you're getting into. Just like that's what it's all about. Well, Mark, thanks so much. Perfect, you know, perfect guest for this. Yeah, thanks. Very special. So much for having me for us, and insane to be doing this in person. And I don't normally ask Sam what we, what we got next, but we don't know. We don't know. The future is unwritten. Might be something, a Mike Love solo album or something like that. It's hard to, hard to know. I could. Uh, well, we love you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Grady for fueling us throughout this process. Thank you, Grady. Yes. And
3: thank you, Grady.
0: Thank you to uh, Osiris. Thank you to um, Brian and RJ, our producers. Uh, thank you to Ian, who edited all this season and uh, has contributed some excellent bits himself. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. See you later. Late Era is
1: hosted and produced by Winston Cook-Wilson, Andy Cush, and Sam Sadomsky. It is edited by Winston Cook-Wilson and mixed and mastered by Ian Wayne. The executive producers of Late
0: Era are Brian Brickman and RJB. Logo designed by Liz B. Art and Design.
1: Late Era is a part of Osiris Media.